Welcome to Late Night Murder. We're your hosts. I'm Nicole. And I'm Chase. And this week we'll be going across the pond to England. We'll be talking about an 11-year-old serial killer. She is actually the youngest female serial killer in history. Before we get into this week's episode, we did want to shout out one of our listeners, Stephanie, for correctly guessing this week's episode. She guessed this week's episode before before we even did it. Yeah, no. Way to go, Stephanie. Woohoo! Trigger warning for this week's episode. There is mention of child death, sexual assault, murder, and abuse. So I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. So this week, we're going to do a little bit of time traveling and distance traveling. We're going to go back to 50s, 60s England. Okay. And then we're going to start the story off with Miss Mary Bell. All right. Mary Flora Bell was born on May 26, 1957 in Scotswood, which is an inner suburb of Newcastle. She was born to Elizabeth Betty Bell who was only 17 when she had Mary. And then we're just going to call her Betty throughout this, so I don't have to say Elizabeth every time. Okay, so Betty. Betty is the mom. Mary is the mom. Yep. Got it. Mary is the child. All right. So no one ever knew who the identity of Mary's father was. Betty was actually a well-known prostitute and dominatrix at this point in her life. In In the 50s? Yes. She was born, did you say she was born in 57? Mary was. Okay, Mary was born in 57. Betty is, Betty is the mom and a prostitute. Wow. Okay, is that legal in England? I don't know. In, in 57? That seems rather recent, to be honest. Yeah, it does. I don't know if it was legal. I mean, Amsterdam, isn't sex work legal there? Yeah, but that, I think so. I don't know how other European countries do it. I don't know. That's just kind of crazy. All right, that's fine. Yeah, we'll, fifth... we'll leave it there. That just seems a little crazy to me. It seems a little newer, like too current for that to be a thing, right? Right, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think Americans are a little stuck up in that aspect, I suppose. I really want to police that sort of thing more than other countries. Yeah. So Betty was a prostitute and a dominatrix. We'll touch back on that in a second. Okay. all right so like i was saying the id of mary's biological father is still unknown we still have no clue okay Uh, mary was just a baby when betty married a man named william billy bell and that's where mary got her last name bell from okay so he's stepdad then he is stepdad so we have mother betty stepdad billy and child mary got it a little background about billy He was an alcoholic and criminal with things on his rap sheet, such as, like, armed robbery and things of that nature. All right. Ever since Mary was born, Betty did not want her. She did not want a child, it seemed. All right. So it's not not a good thing. It's not. For her. Yeah. So stepdad is an alcoholic, got things on his rap sheet, and her mother never seemed to want her. Actually, it's reported that within minutes of mer- birthing Mary, Betty actually shouted, take that thing away from me. Oh, God. 
So Mary didn't have a good childhood. I mean, moments of being born, her mother already didn't want her. Okay. And then there were a couple other times that family members have recalled uh, stating that Betty had tried to kill Mary. Oh. Yeah. So there was a time in ni- around 1960 where Betty had dropped Mary from a first-story window. In 1960, 19- so she's three years old? She- Mary is three. And Betty claims that Mary was playing in the sink next to an open window. Like, you know how kitchens have that window yeah to let in air that window was open and mary was playing in the sink and mary fell out the window but family members think that betty pushed her out the window but we don't know this All right, way well, or that. either either way you know we're, we're not going to give her a parenting award for even having her there with an open window like so. you should probably be watching your three-year-old a in the sink for drowning and b because there's an open window yeah okay if we're like a couple minutes in, and I already don't like this. I know, I know. I was flabbergasted at the end of last week's episode when you told me about what this week would be about, and I, I already I already don't like it. Mm-hmm. There was another occasion where Betty had given Mary sleeping pills, which actually leaded to Mary's stomach needing to be pumped. And then when the doctors and nurses asked Mary, she stated that her mom had given her Smarties candy. Do we know how old she was at that point? We don't. I would say around that, like maybe a little older, five, seven-ish, if I had to guess. But I know she was younger than 10. Okay. Betty had actually sold Mary to a woman who was leaving an orphanage at one point also. She, She sold her? Yeah, so the woman was coming out of an orphanage after being denied for mental health reasons. She wasn't allowed to adopt. Oh, I see. And Betty saw the woman and gave her Mary and said, I was coming to drop her off here anyway. Wow. So then Betty's family knew that she wasn't taking care of Mary and things like that. So Mary's aunt, Betty's sister, followed the woman, like found out where she lived, went to her house and said, hey... I, and then went back to Betty and said, hey, I found where Mary is. You need to go get your daughter or I will call the police. So Betty went and picked Mary up. Okay, so she was literally successful in selling her to this woman. Yes. She took, she gave her to this woman mm-hmm. and the woman took her and left. Yes. That is, wow. And Mary's aunt had to track Mary down and tell Betty, hey, go get your kid or I'm calling the cops. Holy shit. And, I mean, who's to say, like, what life Mary could have led? Because that woman who had Mary during that time had bought her clothes. She had a room. Like, she really seemed to love the idea of having Mary. So I don't know if any of this story would have been told. How long was she there? I don't know. I couldn't find how long she was there. Okay, but you found out that she was living well there? She had clothes. The woman was excited to have her there. Okay, well, that seems like wow, she had been there at least a little bit. At least long enough to go to the store and pick up some clothes. <laughs> that is that is crazy to me. And then the woman even let Mary take the clothes with her when Betty took her back. Okay. Well, that's, that's really nice of that woman. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, who knows? We might not even be telling this story if uh-huh. Betty hadn't gone and gotten Mary back. Who knows? Okay. 
Despite offers from other family members to take in Mary, Betty would always refuse. She would say, no, it's my daughter. I will take care of her. Clearly, you are not. So I think it was more so a codependency sort of thing where Betty wanted Mary to need her, but only when Betty wanted it. Okay. Like, Betty wanted to pick and choose when to be a parent is what I got from it. I mean, I'm not saying I I wasn't there. I don't know, but okay, that was my idea. Going back to the dominatrix thing that I had mentioned earlier, Betty had allegedly begun to allow and actually in some cases encourage her clients to sexually abuse Mary in the mid-60s. Oh. So if you do that math, Mary would have been around seven at this time. This is terrible. Are we just like every episode it's going to get worse? Like, my God, I, I don't like this at all. We're going to pepper other ones in. Mm. So along with Mary's family home life not being well, she did grow up in a slum type of neighborhood where kids were able to go out and play and do whatever like they were on their own accord after the age of two. Okay, there's just kids just doing whatever, I guess, huh? Pretty much as long as you were older than two, you got to go do whatever you wanted. Okay. You just had, like, your parents would call, expect you home for dinner or whatever the case may be. All right. So when Mary was around five, she did have a really good friend that had actually witnessed Betty do these bad things to Mary. And one day, Betty and the friend were playing outside. Again, you can be on your own go play whatever the day is yours right while the friend and mary were playing in the road the friend was actually hit by a car right in front of mary so as you can imagine that messed mary up at least it would have messed me up seeing my friend get hit by a car when i was five oh absolutely the whole the whole thing about this story is all these things you're telling me it's very hard for me to imagine because they're so freaking young we're talking about a five-year-old kid watching her friend get hit by a car Okay. Okay, so in school, Mary had actually exhibited several signs of unpredictable behavior, mood swings, and chronic bedwetting, which when I read this, it clicked a light on in my head about the serial killer trio, like bedwetting, animals, and I can't think of the third one. But when it said bedwetting, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Because typically when you hit school age, like seven, eight, you grow out of that bedwetting in most cases, I feel like. I don't even know, like, I don't know what you're referencing. Are you, is that a thing? That's like a trait that that serial killers have? Is that real? Yeah, so they've done studies on serial killers and actually found that there's three really common characteristics or aspects. It's actually called the McDonald triad. It's the triad of sociopathy or homicidal triad and it's three factors and then they've noticed that serial killers have it most serial killers have at least two of the three and the triad is cruelty to animals obsession with fire setting and persistent bedwetting past a certain age persistent bedwetting made it on that list yes that is a trait of most serial killers wow that's crazy i didn't know that yeah most serial killers have two to three of those Hmm. well the other two make sense in my head but yeah so Mary had those while she was in school. Also, while while in school, her classmates would recall that she would frequently fight the other children 
and attempt to strangle them or even suffocate them. Okay, so we've got violent tendencies and the bedwetting happening. Yep. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Okay. On one occasion, Mary actually tried to block a schoolmate's airway with sand. Okay. It's terrible. When I saw that, I immediately thought of like that Righteous Gemstones episode where that guy gets sand in his airway. Oh, yeah. When they're on the beach. Yeah. I thought of that immediately and how you were like, oh, that would be terrible to have sand in your mouth. I can't even imagine. Oh, yeah, that would be bad. You get a little at the beach sometimes, you know, and that's bad enough. A whole mouthful, you're not, I don't know, that would be really hard to to deal with, I think. I mean, it's reported that she was trying to block her airway of sand, so I can only imagine that she was packing that shit in. Jeez, yeah. Like just clump handfuls. Ugh. Mm. Yeah. So these behaviors obviously made the other children not want to play with Mary. Everyone around her was so accustomed to these mood swings that they would just be playing or doing normal school things. And they would notice when Mary would do certain things, like shake her head, she would actually end up shaking her head and fix her gaze on someone, whoever she was going to attack. It could even be unprompted. And one schoolmate actually said that it was, quote, a steely glaze. Hmm. End quote. So that's kind of, that's scary. Yeah, that's a little terrifying. And then Mary did actually have one friend through all of this. Uh, Her name was Norma Bell. She was a 13-year-old neighbor. She has no relation to Mary despite... Yeah, I was just about to ask that, yeah. Despite the name. I don't know if it was a common name back then or for that area or what, but no relation. All right. So now that we have a little bit of background on Mary and that she's got this really good friend named Norma, we're going to go to May 11th, 1968, which Mary is just shy of being 11. She is 10, going to be 11 in a couple weeks. Okay. So a three-year-old boy was found wandering and dazed in Scottswood, just walking down a road. Okay. He was found with blood on his head, and again, he's just walking down the road, kind of confused, doesn't really know what's going on. When questioned by the police, the child said that he had been playing with Norma Bell and Mary Bell when one of the girls pushed him off this air raid shelter that was about seven feet tall that they were playing on top of. He couldn't remember which girl was which. He was three years old. Seven feet's a long way. Especially for a three-year-old. Right. They're typically like two to three feet tall. Right. So both girls were interviewed that night by the police about these events, and they denied any culpability, stating that they had just found and seen the boy after he had fallen off the roof, and they had helped walk him to his ha- his parents' house. Okay. So on this same night, though, the parents of three girls in the same neighborhood contacted police to say that Mary and Norma had tried to strangle each one of their daughters. Oh, my goodness. So the... Girls were questioned about this as well. When the police went for the boy, they also questioned about the girls. And this led to Norma confessing that Mary had tried to, quote, throttle each of the girls, stating, quote, Mary went to one of the girls and asked, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? End quote. So this is clearly escalating. Yeah. So we can see that escalating behavior. She also says that Mary put both of her hands around the girl's neck and began to squeeze. The girl started to go purple. Norma says that she told Mary to stop, but Mary wouldn't. Then Mary put her hands around the next girl's throat, and she started to go purple as well. Another girl then came up, the third daughter, 
came up and Mary did the same thing to her. And this is all by Norma's account. When Mary, it is crazy. When Mary was questioned about the girls, she denied everything. Says, I have no idea what they're talking about. I didn't do any of this. Okay. So police notified the local authorities of these incidents and of Mary's violent nature that they had been seeing. But since the girls were so young, they were given a warning and no further action was taken at that time. Right. I mean, at this point, they're just kids. Yeah. And it's a she said, she said of, oh, she strangled me. No, I didn't. That sort of thing, which is sad, but there's no, like, evidence or anything of that nature either. Right. That's just crazy. With with kids like that, though, I mean, I don't think at this time they were probably paying attention to all of these different things adding up to something. Yeah, and I mean, this is back in the 50s, too, so. All right. So that was May 11th that all of that happened. So we're going to fast forward two weeks to May 25th. On this day, four-year-old Martin Brown was found in an upstairs bedroom of a derelict house on that same road. It's like the main road in the neighborhood. Around 3.30 p.m. by three children who were just going about their day. Just wandering around. Yep. A local workman that was in that area, his name was John Hall, he had attempted CPR on Martin Brown but was unsuccessful. Martin was found lying on his back with his arms stretched above his head. John Hall, the workman. As he was performing CPR, Mary Bell and Norma Bell appeared in the doorway of the room, but they were shooed away quickly. Okay. So it's a little strange that they were there. Yeah, I I would say. So while all of this was happening, the two girls, Norma and Mary, went to Martin's aunt's house. Her name was Rita, and they knocked on her door. When Rita answered, the girls told her that, quote, one of your sister's barons has just had an accident. We can't tell which because there's blood all over his body, end quote. Now, barons is a slang term in that area of England for kid. So they basically said, hey, one of your sister's kids has had an accident. We don't know which one because there's blood everywhere. What? Yeah. So back to reality... Aside from a few specks of blood and foam around Martin's mouth, there were no signs of violence. So they had just lied to this kid's aunt, saying that there was blood everywhere. Okay. That's so weird. It is really weird that they would... I thought I had missed something you told me. Nope. Okay, so they they did lie about that there. Okay. They flat out lied about that, which is very... Why would you... Yeah, that's weird. Why do you make it up into something way worse? I don't know. That's weird. So the next day, Dr. Bernard Knight conducted a post-mortem on the body of Martin. He was unable to find any signs of violence on Martin's body, but he was able to rule out the police's theory of poisoning through tablets. The reason police thought this was there had been multiple pill bottles in the house, along with one close to Martin's body. Okay. And this is just an abandoned house at this point? Yeah, so there was actually a lot of construction and teardowns and rebuilds going on in this neighborhood. Like, they were gentrifying this neighborhood because it was a slum neighborhood. Someone was in charge of tearing all the buildings down and rebuilding new ones or doing something. And they had just stopped for whatever reason. Okay. So, actually, because of Martin's death, there were a lot of protests about these derelict and abandoned buildings of, hey, we need to do something with these. These aren't safe for our children. Right. That makes sense. We, the, Yeah. 
Makes sense. You don't want your kids going around a bunch of abandoned houses. You don't know what's going on in there. You don't know who's in there. Right. Uh, Mary and Norma are actually photographed during these protests as leading the charge. Like, they were holding signs. They were a part of these protests. There's a lot of pictures out there of them at these protests after Martin's body was found. Okay. So about a week later, week, week and a half, on June 7th, the coroner returned with an open verdict, which is an option for a coroner's jury in England and Wales. That means that the death is suspicious, but the coroner is unable to determine any substantial verdicts. So it's pretty much where the coroner says, hey, this is really suspicious, but I can't find anything to say what it is. Okay. To say why it's suspicious or what the cause of death is. What do you mean? What the cause of death is. Okay. So they're saying, okay, I got it. All right. So they're saying, this is really suspicious. We can't find a cause of death, but something's not natural here. Right. We just can't say what it is. Okay. Like we can't figure it out. Got it. So the next day on May 26th, so the day after Martin's body is found, it is Mary's 11th birthday. Okay. So I guess to celebrate or whatever, Mary and Norma broke into a nursery and vandalized it. They had actually gotten into the nursery by peeling the slate tiles off of the roof of this building. Which, I'm not a roof person, but that seems like a lot of... Like, slate is like metal, right? I'm not sure what that is, but they got on the roof of the building? Mm Mm-hmm. That's the part that I'm like, what? How are you doing that? They're now 11 and 13, got onto the roof, peeled the roof tiles back, and then got into the building that way. Okay. Yeah, I think I think slate is uh, rock. Okay, that would make... Yeah, I think it's like stone. That sounds r- more right. Okay. More right? That sounds better. Yeah. I can't <laughs> English. Sounds more correct. <laughs> yeah. So while they were there, they tore books, turned over desks, and smeared ink and paint all over the property before escaping. The discovery of all this tomfuckery was found the next day by staff who immediately called the police. What? So this isn't like a... This isn't an abandoned... This is like an active... It's an active nursery. It was on the weekend or something where the nursery was not open. Oh. And the next day, staff came in and found the place like this. Oh, apparently I thought this was abandoned in my head. I was just like, I I, I don't know why I thought that. I'm sorry if I made you think that. No, I was probably just stuck on the house still, but that makes it even crazier. Yeah. So as police were going over everything and canvassing the crime scene at the nursery, they discovered four little handwritten notes that actually claimed responsibility for Martin Brown's murder, which had occurred just the day before, remember? So these notes, I'm going to read them to you. Oh, you have the notes. I have the notes. Mm. So one note says, quote, I murder so I can come back, end quote. Which I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know. Another one said, quote, we did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. And fuck off is spelled F-U-C-K-O-F. Okay. The third one was pretty simple. It said, fuck off, we murder, period, 
watch out fanny and faggot end quote and fuck is spelt f-u-c-h what is going on the fourth one is the weirdest one it's the most i don't even know what half of it is supposed to mean okay so this one says quote you are micey be curse we murdered martin go brown you bet Look out there are murders about by Fanny and the old faggot you screws, end quote. Whoa. What the hell? I'm so confused right now. So I think what they meant in this note meant you are micey because we murdered Martin Brown. You better look out. There are murders about by Fanny and faggot you screws. That's what I can get from it. I'm so confused. Okay. So, I don't know. That's the weirdest one. They're all weird. They're all weird, but that's, like, the longest. You can kind of make out the other ones. Like, they make clearish sense. Yeah, I know. It's just really weird that they would do any of this. Yeah. So, the police don't know who broke in at this time, by the way. Yeah. The police dismissed all of this, even the notes, as a childish and tasteless prank. Okay, it's, I don't, there's a lot of dots here that no one is connecting yet. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I, I don't know. That's just a bunch of weird, weird shit that is happening at this, to, at this time. Mm-hmm, exactly. Got it. So a few days later, shortly before Martin's funeral... Mary and Norma actually called his mother, Martin's mother, June, and asked to see Martin. When June said that they couldn't because Martin was dead, Mary responded with, quote, Oh, I know he's dead. I want to see him in his coffin, end quote. Whoa. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> I even wrote in my notes. Whoa. I said, what the fuck? That's crazy. Oh, my God. So she's like literally taunting something okay so a few months go by they the police don't have any answers yeah they don't know what's going on martin's death was suspicious and that's about it all right so on july 31st two-ish months a little more than two months after three-year-old brian howe was last seen by his parents in the street playing with a sibling his dog and norma and mary bell And then when he did not return that night for dinner, his parents called police and a search party commenced to go find him. Okay. Mark. Who saw him playing with them? His parents. So his parents saw Brian playing in the street with one of his siblings, the family dog, and Mary and Norma. Okay. And then I don't know if the parents went to work, went to do errands or whatnot, but when it was dinner time, Brian did not show up. Got it. Okay. But they did see him with them. Got yes. it. Okay. So there's a search party going on. They're trying to find Brian, and then they finally find him, however they find his body, at around 11 p.m., and it's between two big concrete blocks in the neighborhood. Okay. This part gets a little rough for the next minute or so. 
just a fair warning. I've not been a fan so far, to be honest. I know, but this one gets a little more gory, brutal in that sense. <sighs> okay. So the police made note that the body had been concealed, but barely just like some twigs and brush and weeds covered him. His lips were blue and there were scratches to his neck. A broken pair of scissors were found near his body. So the next day during the coroner's exam, they concluded that Brian had died of strangulation. They also noted that the killer had to have held Brian's nostrils closed with one hand while the other hand gripped his throat. There were multiple stab wounds to Brian's legs, sections of his hair missing, his genitals had been partially mutilated, and an M had been shallowly carved into his stomach. Oh my god. Ugh. He's three. This is terrible. It's a rough one. So the coroner had determined that such little force had actually been used to kill Brian, that his attacker must have been a child. So typically when adults kill children, they actually overdo it in the force department just because adults are so much bigger than children. Okay. That's... I hate that that statistic even exists. That's... So do I really ugh. Mm -hmm. okay um i mean that does make sense that's good they're getting they're, they're putting this shit together a little bit the ball, they're getting a little bit of it together the here. ball has started rolling okay so there were also gray and maroon fibers found on brian's body the gray fibers on brian's body actually matched the gray fibers that had been found on martin's body okay now we got a link i know you're colorblind but keep that in mind gray and maroon fibers Gray and maroon. Got it. So with this information, the police concluded that the two boys must have had the same killer and that it was most likely a child. Nice. That's some solid... We're getting there. Solid stuff they got going now. Yep, we're tracking. We're picking up some momentum here. Okay. With the investigation, there were over 100 detectives that were assigned to it, as well as over 1,200 children that were interrogated in the area, including Norma Bell and Mary Bell. That's a lot of kids. I feel like that would be hard to interrogate a child also. It is, yeah. I don't know anything about that. I've never really seen anything about that, but I imagine it would be a really interesting procedure to, to interrogate a child. Yeah. That would be very tough to get any sort of answer or information out of a child, yeah. especially about something like that. I don't know how that would be. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I said, yeah, it is, but I don't have any experience no, in interrogating a child. I just agree that it would be really hard. And I know that there are extra trainings to interview children because you have to approach it differently. Yeah, I would imagine there would be some sort of special way to do that. But it's just that's weird. I've never even thought about that. Yeah, I've never even considered how that would play into it. That's weird. Mm -hmm. So in Norma's initial interview... She seemed excited to be being asked all these questions, whereas Mary was noted as being observant and reserved during the entire thing. Both girls were evasive when they were being asked the questions, like not really giving straightforward answers, just kind of dodging here and there, beating around the bush. They did both relent and give up the information that they had both been playing with Brian that day, but they hadn't seen him since lunchtime. Okay. And that was about the time the parents had seen the girls playing with him, so there was nothing to say otherwise at this point. Got it. 
So the next day after that first questioning, Mary actually went to police and said that she remembered an eight-year-old boy, that she remembered an eight-year-old boy playing with Brian and had pushed him into the grass. Mary also said that she had seen this boy, quote, trying to cut a cat's tail off with scissors, but something was wrong with them. One leg was broken or bent, end quote. For the boy or the cat? The scissors. One of the prong things. Oh, the scissors. Yeah. Oh. This is English people talk. Whoops. (laughs) English people talk. Okay, so she has now said that she has seen these scissors. She said, yeah, that she has seen these scissors. She saw an eight-year-old boy being mean to Brian and also saw this same eight-year-old boy trying to cut a cat's tail off with broken scissors. Okay. This statement would be her downfall, however. I would imagine she just mentioned the the scissors. Exactly. That's the thing. Exactly. The only ones who knew about the scissors were the police, the workmen that had found Brian and tried to resuscitate him, the three children, and the killer. That's a very specific item to mention. Yeah. See, told you I'm on top of this. I'm going to try and get ahead of you at every one of these (laughs) at some point. I'm going to jump to something every time. That's fine. And then, so the police did do their due gil- did do their due diligence and questioned the eight-year-old boy and his parents, and it was actually confirmed by tickets and his parents and other pu- other eyewitnesses that he had actually been at the airport that day, and he was not in the neighborhood. Okay. Okay. So that statement from Mary had actually convinced the Detective Chief Inspector Dobson, who was in charge of the case, that Mary was the killer of not only Brian, but also Martin. And I even wrote in my notes, that was dumb of her. Which, I mean, that's good that she did that. Right. Because then they were on to her. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not criminally smart in this aspect, which is okay for us. Right. It's good that people make mistakes when they're killers. Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) So a few days later, after that statement was made, Norma's parents called the police and told them that Norma wanted to confess what she knew about Brian's murder. DCI Dobson arrived and asked Norma what she knew. Norma informed Dobson that Mary had taken her to Brian's body on the day of the murder Mary then demonstrated how she had strangled the child. And according to Norma, Mary had also expressed that she enjoyed strangling Brian, then described how she had inflicted the other marks on his body with a razor blade and scissors. Okay. So at this point, Norma, is she's saying that she's not involved in any sort of way. She's just saying that Mary took her to the scene and said this is what I did. After the fact, After yeah. she had done While it. Brian was still, yep. Got it. Norma had mentioned there was a razor blade and scissors, but police had only recovered scissors from the scene. And Norma said, oh, that's because the razor blade is hidden. Mary hid it at the scene. So then the cops say, okay. Show us. Show us. Yep. So they do. They take Norma to the scene. Norma says it's underneath that concrete block. They move the block. Sure shit, there's a razor blade. There it is. All right, good. Norma also drew a diagram for the police of where the boy's boy was cut, and it actually matched that 
of what the coroner had found to the T. Okay. So Mary Bell was visited by police the next morning, as you can imagine. Yep, All of this evidence is building up. So this time during questioning, Mary was noted as being really defensive, especially when she was confronted with the discrepancies in her story versus Norma's. Mary stated, quote, you're trying to brainwash me. I will get a solicitor to get me out of this, end quote. Okay. Which a solicitor is like a lawyer. Okay. It's like a defense lawyer sort of thing. Okay. But I mean, coming from an 11-year-old. This whole thing is, it's crazy. You have to, she's 11. Yeah. With all of this happening. And Norma's only 13. Right. But Mary is the younger one. It's crazy. I'll get in. I would get into the reading about this, and then I would have to remember. Oh, she's eleven when all of this is happening. Yeah, that's it's. I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. So later that day, after the police had talked to Mary, they went back to go see Norma. At this point, Norma made a full confession, restating her story, so changing her story yet again. Norma said that this time she had been present when Mary had strangled Brian. Okay. See, this is more so what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. So Norma said that when the three of them, so Brian, Mary, and Norma, were all playing on a spot called the Tin Lizzie, Mary, quote, seemed to go all funny, end quote, had pushed Brian into the grass and attempted to strangle him. Then after a little bit, she had told Norma, quote, my hands are getting thick, take over, end quote. And this is where Norma reportedly ran away from the scene, leaving Brian and Mary alone. Okay. That's terrifying. It is. So a forensic exam of the girls' clothing from that day and of their wardrobe, because they're the main suspects out of all these 1,200 children, Mary and Norma are left. So the police go through their clothes, and they actually find that Mary owned a gray wool dress... And Norma had a maroon skirt. Okay, so it was actually, it was fiber from both of them, not yep. from one outfit. Yep, so fibers from those exact items were a match to those fi- found on Brian and in turn on Martin. However, the girls had been playing and had admitted to be playing with these, with both kids before their murder, so it wasn't enough to arrest them on. So the police did not. It wasn't enough. I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's just, no, come on. I know. Come on, man. And I mean, it's also kids, though. You don't want to think that kids can do this type of thing. Definitely not. So Brian's funeral was held on August 7th. There were actually over 200 people in attendance. According to Dobson, the chief investigator, Mary Bell was seen standing outside the funeral and, quote, stood there laughing laughing and rubbing her hands. I thought to myself, my God, I've got to bring her in. She'll do another one, end quote. This is the police officer saying this about the 11-year-old. She's 11 years old at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Laughing. And rubbing her hands. Oh, my God. Because, you know, the police went to see if anyone was going to act strange uh, or what, see if the killer may be there. What an unnerving thing to see. Yeah. That is... At a three-year-old's funeral. It's wow. It's horrible. This sounds like a movie. It really does, doesn't it? This is ridiculous. So Dobson had had enough. As have I. 
I <laughs> right now. I know, I know. So both girls were arrested that night around 8 p.m. and formally charged with Brian's murder. There had been no new evidence. Dobson was just like, you know what? Let's, let's get him. Let's do it. Got it. Good. I got to bring him in. I got to bring Mary in before she does this again. Let's arrest her. 100%. So in response to being arrested, Mary stated, quote, that's all right by me, end quote. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> right? <laughs> She's 11. She gets arrested for murder and goes, that's all right. Okay. All right. So at the police station that night, Mary had prepared a written confession in which she says that while she was there for the murder of Brian, Norma had been the one to actually kill him. Oh, here we go. Which it is interesting because the coroner had actually noted that it seemed... That an N was actually originally carved into Brian's stomach. An N? An N. Okay. Like for Norma. Norma, right. Had been carved with a sharper object. Like a razor blade? Like a razor blade. Okay. And then someone had added an extra line to make it an M, but then the whole thing was more crude. Like a pair of scissors. Okay. So in this written statement, Mary had also admitted that Norma and her had been the ones to break into the nursery and write those notes about Martin Brown. The police didn't know who had done it until this confession. So let's move on to the girls' psyche vows. I'm I'm excited about this. Yeah, let's let's hear this. Okay. So Norma was determined to have an intellectual delay with a submissive character who easily expressed emotions, they actually placed her mental level at about eight years old, and she's 13. Okay, so this is telling me right now. Right now, she's the sidekick. She's not the mastermind here. That's what is, it's, that, is that what we're saying here? That's what it seems to be. Okay. Uh, Mary's psyche valve, on the other hand, the complete opposite hand, she was found to be a bright young character who was prone to mood swings, she actually had quite a few evals, and during these, she would flip from being willing to talk to way defensive and quiet and completely shut off. Okay. So there had actually been a total of four psychiatrists who examined Mary, and they all concluded that Mary did not suffer from a mental disorder. She actually suffered from a psychopathic personality disorder. <laughs> I should have just said what I was thinking. I was just going to say, like, like different personalities or something. But yeah. then I didn't say it. I should have said it. <laughs> you should have. Well, now I did. <laughs> now you did. So Dr. David Westbury, one of the psychiatrists, actually said that, quote, Mary's social techniques are primitive and take the form of automatic denial, manipulation, ingratiation, bullying, or violence, end quote. And I had to look up what ingratiation was because... I'm not good at English very much. I could tell by that sentence. Go on. <laughs> I just explain. validated. Go ahead and explain oh. what that is. So ingratiation is actually where you make yourself like-minded with the other person. So say if you want someone who's into football to like you, you'll be into football and you'll actually model yourself after that person. Makes sense. So. It's like a... 
like a way to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. So it's and like some people are able to do that really well. Like yeah. if you are like really good salespeople are are good at that. Yeah. So it's kind of like a mirroring. Like whoever right. you're trying to get along with, you will mirror yourself. Yep. Okay, so let's go to the trial now. Okay. So the trial began on December 5th, 1968. The judge was Mr. Justice Ralph Cusack. Mary was represented by Harvey Robson, QC, and Norma was represented by R.P. Smith, QC. And what QC means is Queen's Counsel, so it's like a public defender here in America. Okay, got it. I had to look all of this up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So. It's bad enough to keep this, like, all the things straight for different states, let alone different countries. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Definitely. So the girls were both originally charged with murder and pled not guilty to these charges. On the first day in court, Justice Cusack actually waived the girls' rights to anonymity, which meant that the press was allowed to print their names, the ages, and photos of the girls. Okay. So typically what we hear in the state C is that if someone is under 18, they'll seal the records. We won't be able to know, like, names. Who it is. Who it is, yeah. Right. Their identity. This judge said, nope. So let's go to Norma's defense argument. Norma testified in her own defense. She denied any culpability in the actual murder of either Martin or Brian. But she did admit under cross-examination to having known Mary's history of violence and her history of attacking children, and that Mary and Norma had discussed attacking and killing small children of both genders. When questioned about her own role in the murder, Norma stated that she had, quote, never touched the child, end quote. Okay. Mary's defense, her testimony lasted for about four hours. She testified after Norma, like they were same trial. They were tried together. And her testimony was actually adjourned during one occasion when she began crying into a policewoman's arms. She not only denied all of Norma's accusations, insisting that she had only seen the body of Martin Brown at the road that he was found on, uh, she had, herself had never harmed either child and that she and Norma had later asked the boy's mother to view his body as they were, quote, only daring each other and one of us did not want to be a chicken, end quote. So they, Mary says that they played a game of chicken to call this murdered boy's mother and say that they wanted to see him in his coffin. Okay. It's a pretty fucked up game of chicken. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm inclined to believe Norma's defense mm-hmm. her 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 statements and things because it just sounds like she's not the dominant personality yeah. in, in this relationship you I, know mean, what I mean that's what the psychiatrists have said it just seems like and then and then to come right out as mary and say that she didn't do like any of it that's i don't uh, that's yeah. ridiculous mary had also said during her testimony that she had told others her knowledge of martin's death She had told others that her knowledge of Martin's death could get Norma put straight away. Hmm. Which kind of makes you think, like, I mean, I don't know. Which just leaves that open-ended question a little of which one actually did. I don't know. I think that with her being so smart, maybe she was saying that to 
to absolve herself in yeah. some sort of way later on down the road if this if the shit really did hit the fan you know yeah which it did obviously yeah which is a good thing yeah but i think it that was... maybe a lot of these things that norma is going along with from this is just what i'm thinking is that yeah maybe, these are our opinions people yeah it's just my opinion that maybe out she was doing some of these things out of fear because she's seen some of the crazy shit that mary does yeah and that is if mary we're not speculating we're just saying what ifs right like we're not saying this is what happened no 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 this is just like, we're just speculating that's like, what i meant right yeah it's just my uh, that's what i i don't know that's my guess i suppose so when questioned with the death of Brian Howell, Mary claimed that Norma had been the individual who had strangled the child as Mary herself was, quote, just standing and looking. I couldn't move. It was as if some glue was pulling us down, end quote. She's saying that she watched Norma do it like that? That's what you said? Yep. So Mary said that she watched Norma do it and Mary couldn't do anything. She was just frozen. <sighs> okay. Mary also stated that she could determine the level of force that Norma was exerting while strangling Brian because, quote, her fingertips and nails were going white. And Mary also said that she didn't inform authorities of any of this out of fear and a misguided sense of loyalty to Norma. This is like almost verbatim what I just said about Norma. Mm-hmm. About her relationship with mary i know oh my goodness you said you were gonna get ahead uh, i had it i i'm saying it backwards from what she's saying it thought you are crazy okay okay so on december 17th the trial was over it was time for the jury to go back into the room and do some deliberating as they were doing that how long do you think it took them to reach their verdicts for these two girls i don't know i'm just guessing yeah, just take a guess. Uh, two hours. Three hours and 25 minutes. Hey, I was pretty close. You were. So Mary Bell was cleared of murder, but... What? What? Hang, hang with me for a second. Okay. But she was convicted of the manslaughter of both boys on the grounds of diminished responsibility. What the hell does that mean? So I have a statement for that exact reason because I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. Why is this happening? Yeah. So Justice Cusack stated that, quote, in 1957, there was an act of parliament and it said that, quote, where a person kills or is a party to the killing of another, he shall not be convicted of murder if he was suffering from such abnormality of mind whether arising from a condition of arrested or retarded development of mind or any inherent causes or induced by disease or injury as substantially impaired his mental responsibility for his acts, end quote. Okay. So it's pretty much the, I did it because I'm crazy. Right. That's what I, so that, that's her. But she didn't say it. So what it means in the court system in England is that if you're found to have diminished responsibility, so if you weren't in the right state of your mind during the murder, you cannot be charged with murder. You have to be charged with manslaughter at the most. Got it. Okay, so Norma Bell was acquitted of all charges. Okay. 
a part of me wants to be glad about that. But then there's also this just tiny shred of doubt that I'm like, mm, I don't know if I like that mm-hmm. entirely. But, I know. Uh, but uh, this, yeah. I don't know. I'm so torn right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just am torn. I don't know. You're like, oh, did Mary do it all and was Norma the sidekick? Or is that what they want me to believe? Like, what's happening here? I don't, I don't know what to, what to fully think about that. I mean, I don't know. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go with it's a good thing. That's what I'm gonna go with. Okay. That's my feelings about it. So upon hearing the jury's verdicts, Norma clapped her hands in excitement, whereas Mary burst into tears as her mother and grandmother also wept in the courtroom. While passing sentence, Judge Cusack described Mary Bell as a, quote, dangerous individual, end quote, adding that she also posed a very grave risk to other children and that, quote, steps must be taken to protect the public, end quote, from Mary. Makes sense. Mary was sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure, effectively an indefinite sentence of imprisonment. So what that means when you're detained at Her Majesty's pleasure means there's no end date on it. It's just whenever they feel like you're rehabilitated. Okay. <laughs> Man, that's that's an interesting way to put that. Kind of wish we had that here for some people. Yeah. Like, yeah, you just stay in there till we decide to let you out. Not, oh, you got sentenced for 50 and somehow you're still alive. I guess you can walk free. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So then Mary needs to go somewhere, right? England had actually had such little experience of putting away children of this nature that have these behavior things that they couldn't put her in jail and they also wanted to rehabilitate her so they didn't want to put her in jail they put her in a mental home that before this had been an all boys mental facility okay and they actually turned it into co-ed just for Mary. So she actually had an entire wing of this school to herself. Because they had to separate boys from girls. And Mary was the only girl. Weird. Okay. So not much as I could find about her time in there. So in June 1979, though, so we're skipping forward about 11 years. Okay. So the courts announced their decision that they were going to transfer Mary to an open category prison, which would get the ball rolling on efforts to prepare her for her eventual release into society, which was planned for the following year in 1980. Okay, so how old is she at this time? She'd have to be, what, 23 or 24? 20, 23? 23. Okay. Yep, so she had just turned 23. Got it. Because it was June. Okay. Beginning in November of that same year, five months later, so she's still 23, Mary worked as a secretary and then also as a waitress at a cafe outside of the prison, just under supervised guidelines, just to prepare her for that eventual release. Like she had, she could leave to go to work, but then she had to come back at night or whatever her case was. That's crazy. Okay. Mm -hmm. She was released from this prison. In May of 1980, right before her 24th birthday, she had served almost 11 and a half years in custody. Okay. So upon her release, she was granted anonymity, which included a new name, and it allowed her to start a new life elsewhere in the country under an assumed identity after this release. Okay. 
So she got to change her name and got a new identity to start over. She was no longer Mary Bell. Well, I don't know. I'm just I'm over here debating how I feel about that. I know. I mean, like, putting a kid away for life is terrible. But also, she did terrible things. <laughs> no, it's hard to say. I don't know. It is. And I mean, we don't even know if she actually did it. There's the whole little thing in your head of there, Norma. That, it's just such a small sliver it is. of a it's, doubt for me. It's to tiny. Be honest, it's very minuscule. The thing that makes me give more weight to that was that Mary mentioned scissors and Norma was the only one that mentioned the razor blade and Norma knew where the blade was. I don't know because all of these things, it was only these two girls. I know. I don't know. So anyway, four years after Mary's release, on May 25th of 1984, Mary gave birth to a daughter. Her daughter knew nothing of her mother's past up until 1998 when reporters found Mary Bell in a resort town on the Sussex coast. So with the media finding out who Mary Bell was, where she lived, that she had a daughter. Her daughter was 14 at this time. Okay, but she's not Mary anymore, correct? Nope, we just don't know her name. Okay. Yeah, we don't know what her name is, so but I'm just going to... They found out what it was? Yeah, so the press found out where she was, and her daughter had no clue until this, when the press oh, swarmed the house. okay, okay. And it actually forced Mary and Mary's daughter to leave their home and be driven to a safe house by undercover officers. Okay. Mary and her daughter had relocated to another part of the UK after this event. Obviously. For obvious reasons, yeah. Mm-hmm. So while Mary Bell, or whatever her name is now, was granted anonymity when she left, the right to anonymity was granted to Mary's daughter after her birth, only up until she had reached the age of 18. On May 21st of 2003, Mary Bell won a high court battle to have her own anonymity as well as her daughter's extended for their life periods. Okay. So not much else is known about Mary because of this anonymity. Like, they don't know her name, they don't know where she is, as well as her daughter. And then this order that gave both of them lifelong anonymity was actually later updated to include Mary's daughter, Mary's granddaughter. Oh, okay. In January of 2009, who is only referred in court documents as Z. Interesting. So this order also prohibits the divulging of any aspects of their lives which may identify them. So if... Mary went to go work somewhere, and they said, oh, well, what's this gap? Like, where were you living before this? And then if it fell within that, or like, hey, where are you from? Mary can lie about it legally. She doesn't have to say, oh, I'm from this area, or that's anything cool. like that's, that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like witness protection a little bit. Yeah, I guess in a sense it is, isn't it? Yeah. So then in 1998, this is just a little tidbit I found that is weird. I don't, I don't know. I want to see what you think of this. Okay. So in 1998, Mary Bell actually collaborated with an author named Gita Sereni. I think that's how you pronounce that. To provide an account of her life before and after her crimes. For Sereni's book, Cries Unheard, the story of Mary Bell. So within this book, Mary Bell details the abuse she suffered as a child at the hands of her prostitute mother, Betty. 
And this is where she also alleges that several of her mother's clients had sexually abused her. Uh, and this is like a, this is substantiated book. Like this isn't just somebody trying to make a book about this. Is there any way that we could even know that? So Gita Sereni wrote this book and then did write it with Mary. Mary is noted in the book as being a reference point to this. Okay. So in this book, there are also others that were interviewed that were in Mary's life that were relatives, friends, and professionals that have known her before, during, and after her imprisonment. So while Bell's current whereabouts are unknown and remain protected by that 2003 High Court order, Cyrene, the woman who wrote the book with her back in 98, mm -hmm. does say that Bell does not claim she was wrongly convicted and she freely admits the abuse she suffered as a child does not excuse her crimes. Okay. So there was actually a little bit of controversy when it came out that Mary Bell had helped write this book because she got royalties off the book sales. Oh, which in I see. in America we have a thing where you if you're convicted of a crime you can't make money off the crime like so John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, all the big guys that have written books or done interviews, they don't get any of that money. They're not allowed to make a profit off of their crimes. Yeah. But she did. And so that was an uproar. I could see how that would piss people off. Yeah. I, I would be pissed. Yeah. Why do you get to make money off of something so horrific? Right. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I bet that's a really, it's probably a, a very interesting book. Yeah, and I mean, I would like to read it, but I also don't want to pay to read it, because then she, she gets money. God, I don't know. <laughs> this is so weird, because usually at the end of these things, when we're talking about the sentencing and, and mm -hmm. shit like that, I'm automatically like, sorry, you suck. You're Go to jail. Be yep. in jail. Yeah. And I'm like, you, you know, your shitty childhood doesn't, doesn't define you. you for of of being an asshole mm -hmm. you know and then i'm i'm honestly a little torn at this point because her crimes are inexcusable i'm not saying anything about that at all definitely i don't think you should strangle anybody no matter what nope but she did have a shit childhood and i mean who knows like i said in the beginning if she had stayed with that one woman that her mom gave her to who knows if any of this would have happened yeah that's that's very true what i'm curious about too though is what uh what happened with Norma? She went on to leave a regular life, I guess. I couldn't find anything about her nowadays. So, I mean, she stayed out of the public eye, as far as I could find. Well, I just think out of everybody to be referenced for a book or write their own book, I'm surprised that she didn't. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. No, that would make sense. But, I mean, if you were that submissive character in all of this, you probably don't want to tie your life to those horrific acts. So I, I can yeah, I see why she would want to stay out of it and not ju just want nothing to do with any of it. Right. Yeah, I guess I could see it from both sides when you mention it like that, too. But yeah, so that's the story of Mary Bell, also known as the Tyneside Strangler, and is the youngest female serial killer in history. That was crazy. I don't. <clears throat> I don't know. I was very torn in a few places in that in that story. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. No. I mean, in the very beginning, you're like, oh, I want something good to happen to Mary. Like, I feel really bad for her, and then she does 
allegedly does shitty things and you're like, I don't know anymore. Well, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Late Night Murder. We hope to see you next week for our first listener case submission as we go back to Pennsylvania. And we take a look at a case where a teenage love triangle plus teenage jealousy takes a turn for the worst. If you want to stay up to date on all of the things happening here at Late Night Murder, you can follow us on our social medias. You can find us on Facebook at Late Night Murder Podcast. Instagram at Late Night Murder Podcast, Twitter at LN Murder Podcast. If you have any case suggestions, feel free to go to the link in our bio on any of our social medias, and there's a button you can push and submit a case. You can find Late Night Murder Podcast on Apple Podcast, Audible, Spotify, or any other place you get your podcast from. Bye. See you next week, guys. (laughs) 